HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods, an online and wholesale distributor of heritage breed meat and poultry. Learn more at heritagefoods.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, our weekly food news roundup. Fall is finally here, so it's time to get funky and devote an episode to some of our favorite spunky microbes. Fungi just provide this beautiful, whimsical lens on how the world works. They have so many roles. They're this strange and magical-seeming group of organisms, but they've got it all figured out. Should you eat the cheese rind? Can you eat the rind? These are like the biggest questions. We'll answer all of your questions about mysterious mushrooms and crazy curds. Plus, we'll give you a sneak listen to the newest season of Modernist Breadcrumbs. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. And on today's episode, a modern-day Johnny Appleseed spreads the story of Cider, an Ibistrin, founder and president of Cider in Love, a curated online marketplace for fine heritage ciders, brings small bath cideries right to your door. And I'm also joined by Jordan Werner Berry, our host of Modernist Breadcrumbs, because she has a Masters in cider, and I've I've always been intimidated by your cider knowledge and everything that you do for Cider Week, which is coming next week, and we'll give a little information about that. But I thought we should have a meeting of the minds about apples in general. Um, let's define first of all what cider even is. So cider is an alcoholic beverage from fermented apples. Jordan, do you agree? Yes, excellent. <laughs> um, and it's one of the most um, it's one of the most storied beverages out there, to be honest. It dates back to the ancient Romans. Um, and in this country, it's really the first um, alcoholic, boozy beverage that takes off. Um, the, when the English colonists come over here, the vines don't work. It's too cold. So um, they bring over some apples, um, stat, um, and they get going. And obviously, where they landed would happen to be fabulous apple-growing territory. And it was potable. It was probably safer to drink that than the groundwater. Absolutely. So, you know, obviously, I think if you're living in freezing cold with no indoor plumbing, you probably want a glass to drink 
anyway. Um, <laughs> but not to mention, it's useful for baptisms. It's useful for just daily drinking and making sure that, you know, you're staying healthy. An apple a day. For baptisms, is it, it just the l'chaim that happens afterwards? Like a, uh, like no, a put it like, no, if you have to like dunk a baby, there are, there are legends that that has happened. Yeah. Mm. So Jordan, not to put you on the spot, but when, and if you have children, is it going to be a <laughs> cider baptism, cider Absolutely. Okay. That sounds great. <laughs> Doesn't that sound good? It's like, just get a couple cases. Yeah, I mean, some of these childhood stories that you hear about apples and cider, like Johnny Appleseed, mm-hmm. is there a truth to that? Johnny Appleseed is a historical figure. I think the piece that gets lost in the elementary school education is there's this idea of this sort of mythical figure, and he just really wants people to eat apples, whereas the story is a lot more complex, and it has two pieces. So I love this show because I can geek out a little, so welcome to some geekdom. Um, First is that as settlers are moving from the East Coast through the West, um, the Midwest, um, there's this real desire to get the land settled. Um, And the United States government was essentially giving away parcels of land if you could show that you were really going to stay put. And a way you could show you were staying put was by planting apple trees. Because apple trees take five years to produce fruit. And so that was a good proxy. So then suddenly there was this real interest in apple trees to help politically settle um, a huge geography. And then Johnny Appleseed emerges, who's a very complicated figure. And he had, I'm going to totally mangle his, um, his religion, but he belonged to a particular church that did not believe in grafting. It was against his religion. So he grew apples um, into nurseries from seed. Like he grew baby apples and, and created them directly, you know, brought them to people, little plants or their little saplings, or he grew them in nurseries. Those wild apple seeds were really cider apples. They were not going to be eating apples because when you grow from seed, quite often what you're getting is something we call a spitter. So not for your pie. Th- those are those little small tart, almost crab apple looking things. There's so many different types. Um, you know, the truth is there are crab apples are actually indigenous to the North America, but a lot of cider specific apples, my God, there are thousands of them. Um, they come in all different shapes, sizes, colors. Um, some are small, some are not small, but a lot of them fall into what people call the bitter sharp or the bitter sweet uh, world. And they are so um, intense in terms terms of the acid and the tannic structure that truly when you bite into them, you will spit it out. So was there this diversity with Johnny Appleseed, mm-hmm. better known as John Chapman from Lemonster, Massachusetts, Ooh, good. who seemed more like a land baron than he did somebody that was promoting hard cider? Um, I think that, you know, his, his the mythology of apples in this country runs deep. And to really understand it, you need to back up and just understand cider is America's original beverage with very little beverage diversity. Um, this is really what people were drinking almost exclusively um, in the, let's call it, middle of the road alcohol realm. Um, and so, yeah, he has an incredibly important role in terms of acting as a catalyst for westward expansion. But I think he also was 100% passionate about what he was doing with apple trees um, and growing them from seed. You couldn't discount that. Well, let's talk about where cider was originally drank and the cultures around the world. Mm. Um, apples being originally from Kazakhstan, Indeed. quite possibly. Yes. Is there a drinking culture there? Well, I can't speak to it 
too distinctly, although I have been to Kazakhstan and I have been to Almaty and I can tell you they have endless photos and posters of apples there, but I did not see a very large cider scene there. It seems to have come along the trading routes and really sort of taken hold originally in the confines of the Roman Empire. Um, We hear stories of Romans uh, using olive presses to press apples, Um, but where you really see it start to take hold is a little further north where the climate makes more sense as part of the Roman Empire. So that's, we're looking at France, we're looking at Spain, we're looking at the UK, which have some of the most incredible um, and really historic apple cultures and specifically cider cultures um, that go back, I mean, I, I would hate to even put a date on it, centuries. It's It's been fantastic to see the proliferation of certain cuisines like uh, Basque cuisine in mm-hmm. New York that we're seeing this influx of cider on menus. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there are any you know, Normandy restaurants or, you know, French restaurants that are specifically Northern. But um, what is the cuisine like associated with those ciders? And is that part of the vehicle that helps people drink more cider? I think one of the things we know about cider in general and cider in the United States is we know there's a very deep correlation between cider and food. And we can talk about those reasons why specifically that beverage works. Um, Historically, various cultures will create a culture around it that ties to it. I can give you an example in Normandy, where you have apple trees growing in a way that um, we can't grow them here, where you have cows actually underneath the apple tree. So it, it talk about terroir. You are making a, let's say, a camembert from a cow that was eating, you know, <laughs> right underneath an apple tree, and then you're making cider that you serve with that camembert. I mean, I can't think of anything sort of more beautiful and delicious together. Let's talk about apple varieties for a second, because we have been talking about cider, and it's obviously mm. made of that fruit. But the, the ones I know best are like Gala, Fuji, yeah. Granny Smith, Granny Macintosh. Smith. Yeah, yeah. And I know there are some ciders that are made with those, but let's talk about these heritage apples mm-hmm. um you know what you're trying to focus more on uh dabinets kinks and blacks um what there are like ten thousand varieties of apples so the two of you can fill in all the rest go yeah. ahead back and forth well i mean what i'll first start by saying for like the average joe listening to this because when we are doing events and we bring people into the world of heritage cider the the thing that we kind of straight up say to them is like look there's a difference between a concord grape and a Pinot Noir grape, because you're not asking for grape, you know, Welch's grape juice, um, you know, when you go out to a wine bar. You know that there's a difference. And, and what that implicitly tells us is we know there's a difference between high quality fruit and beverages. So what we're talking about when we say cider specific apples, it's it's not to be it's not a false fanciness. It's really to say there are apples that have a quality and characteristics that simply produce product that really is um, has the same sophistication and nuance and complexity as a wine. So um, cider-specific apples, and sometimes they're heirloom apples that can do double duty, um, usually have a far more um, complexity to them um, and therefore render a cider that they call heritage. Um, it's actually a cider uh, industry-wide term. We know modern um, ciders are made from eating apples, and you can make cider from any apple. But if you're working with these cider-specific apples that have higher levels of tannins or acids, they will create a heritage um, cider. And just 
for people to kind of get a sense of, because we made the Pinot Noir reference, it's not always single varietal. Oftentimes, most ciders are actually going to be a blend of um, many different cider apples. And then you have wild apples, which are, and crab apples. But if you talk about wild apples, those are all snowflakes. Each one is completely unique. So I can't even, how many thousands of those are there? Oh, Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Right, Jordan? Totally. <laughs> and I was just up in Vermont at Windfall Orchard, and we had... They have some wild apples that they've grafted onto trees. Oh, amazing. And so we had a the same wild apple, but from its wild version, mm-hmm. from Sunrise Orchards as a grafted tree, and from Windfall as a grafted tree, and we cut them all open, and even just the subtle differences, this is how we can really start, I think, to talk about terroir, mm-hmm. is, yes, it's a wild snowflake apple that nothing else is like, but the influence of even just grafting or mm-hmm. grafting into a specific orchard with those apples was blowing my mind. The wild one, we cut it open and oxidized immediately. Mm-hmm. And the other two didn't. So fascinating. Yeah. I mean, my experience with wild apple picking, um, you know, was one of the reasons I really wanted to dive into this as I was working. Um, I went up to meet Steve Sellen at South Hill uh, up in Ithaca. And, you know, I, I went at the perfect time of year. It was just the beginning um, of the harvest season. And, you know, he took me out foraging. Um, and it's amazing to go to some of these sort of forgotten apple trees or lost apple trees. And, you know, the sun was perfect. The sun was, you know, just dying over the hill. And we were just grabbing apples, not even an orchard, in overgrown hedgerows and just biting and eating. And there was this real sense of discovery and nuance. And I think to your point, that's happening in the apple industry and the cider apple industry extensively right now. How is something that grows a known cider apple in the Northeast? How is that growing in California? Different flavor profiles emerge. So yeah, terroir is something that I think um, a lot of folks new to cider have not even considered, which is not to say that cider is wine. Cider is, it deserves its own separate seat at the table, but wine offers some interesting um benchmarks to think about. You know terroir is important with fruit, so why wouldn't you think it's true with cider and apples? So I think what I'm understanding is that if I plant 50 apple trees somewhere, I own that land. This is a really important <laughs> thing here in New York in the real estate market. I but think <laughs> they may have changed yeah. that law, so you should check yeah. first. Well, on that, we're going to take a quick break and come back and actually talk about the parallels of wine and cider hmm. language. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods. Heritage Foods was founded to sell ancient breeds of livestock and poultry that were becoming extinct, largely because industrial agriculture willfully pushed healthy heritage breeds aside for more profitable, faster-growing animals. Rare heritage breeds are saved when popular demand increases and farmers have the incentive to raise them. This Thanksgiving, we encourage you to buy a turkey from Frank Reese's Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch. Frank's turkeys are 100% purebred heritage, 100% pasture-raised, and 100% antibiotic-free. Turkeys are available in two-pound increments. You choose your size. Don't wait. Pre-order your Heritage Thanksgiving turkey today at heritagefoods.com. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. If you've been listening, you've been listening to a lot of Cider Talk. I might just rename the show Cider Talk from now on. <laughs> but the amazing thing about 
hearing uh, of how Apple and fermented apple juice proliferated, it's very parallel to how we speak about wine. And I know, Jordan, you for years have um, studied this cider language. And let's kind of delve into what cider language is and how to navigate Mm -hmm. just even the website, Cider in Love, uh, if I was a novice, which I am, on, on what to purchase, how to taste that, and what we're about to taste on air. Well, I think, you know, as I'm pouring, so hold on, I'm going to make the fun sound of uncorking this cider while we're going. Cider and Love is the only online curator of heritage cider. So we work directly with small independent farmers um, who are really talented across the country. And we work like Etsy. You know, it comes... Oops, excuse me. It comes directly from um, the orchard to your door. Um, And what we wanted to do was make it easy for people who are new to cider. So when you go into the site, you can actually shop by, there's a ship, uh, there's a, sorry, a shopping filter. So you can shop by dry to sweet. You can, P.S. Not all cider tastes like melted Jolly Ranchers. Most heritage (laughs) cider actually is quite dry. Um, You can shop by still to sparkling. There are still ciders. I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. And most importantly, you can shop by note. So cider does not always taste like apples, nor does wine taste like grapes all the time. So what notes attract you? Are you attracted to citrus flavors? Are you attracted to floral flavors? What about, um, you know, smoky notes, earthy notes, oaky notes? Um, So we have a lot of fun stuff to actually taste, and we'll try to maybe describe it for those tuning in so they can get a sense of what's out there. Because it's probably, what we find is a lot of people are surprised when they taste Heritage Cider. That's the number one reaction we get, which is, whoa, I thought I didn't like cider, or I thought it was sweet, and whoa, I didn't even know this was out there. Um, And so that's the fun part, the discovery. And it's out there throughout the U.S., and even though your locations are only New York, Northwest, New England, California on the site, apples grow all across this great nation. My mm-hmm. wife's from Michigan, and we go up to northern Michigan every summer. Oh, great and the, apple culture. Yeah, there. and the cideries cider are, are bonkers and so quaffable. Um, where are the major wine-growing regions, I mean, cider-growing cider regions in the States? Although, interestingly, there are parallels. Um, I was just pouring a glass, excuse me. <laughs> um, the major regions that you're looking at are obviously, I have to say it first, we're in New York State. New York City Cider Week is starting. So New York State, the Big Apple, there's a connection. The New England, obviously, Vermont, Massachusetts, there's some great cider makers all throughout the Northeast. As well as down into the Mid-Atlantic, you're looking at Pennsylvania, Virginia, North Carolina. There is a sort of warmth um, thing going on there. Apple trees don't proliferate as well as, say, orange trees in Florida. So that's a little bit of a change. Um, Then in the Midwest, you've got some great makers who are going to be all through Wisconsin and Michigan. And then again, you get this big hub. It's not to say there aren't cider makers across the country. There are. But there's another fabulous hub Um, in Colorado. Yes. And then also Washington is really well known. It's the biggest apple growing state in the country. Um, Traditionally commercial, but there's so many people doing great heritage ciders out there and we'll be able to taste one of theirs too. It was while I was just out in Seattle and five years ago I went to taste Washington Mm -hmm. and it was a wine convention, and now it has blended into a wine and cider one Yeah, because cider has become such a big and supporting part of the drinking culture there. Yeah, it's really fun. I've been able, part of the way that we built the site is I got in a car and road trip to everybody's individual farms. So everybody on our site, we've actually gone, visited them, seen their orchards, seen their apples, and talked to them about how they make it. So I'm going to sit back and drink, and the two of you can just talk about the tasting notes of this, oh. or how to actually go through tasting a cider and what the language is around describing it. Well, I think it's very similar to the process that 
people know from tasting wine, even mm-hmm. from like a wine 101. It's what do you smell? What do you look? What do you see? What's the color? What's the effervescence? Mm-hmm. And then what do you notice in it that tastes like other things that you know? Um, and I guess I'm really intrigued by the fact that you have listed and searchable tasting notes mm-hmm. on the site. Are you coming up with those or are those? Oh, yeah. No, well, I came up with those and then I worked with collaborators. So I worked with um, several cider makers in the industry, including Dan from Slybro and Eric from Redbird and Meredith Collins, who writes about cider up in Ithaca. And we kind of worked on them together. You know, my background's in marketing. So I kind of, you know, what I'm trying to do is take a great deal of intense cider knowledge and then make it accessible for the consumer so that the geeking out also is accessible. Um, one of the things I love about cider is, you know, no matter how much I try taste wine, I always feel a little stupid. Um, cider is unfussy and yet offers all the same amount of complexity. So it is kind of what you make it. Um, you know, yeah, stick your nose in there, taste it, take some time to taste it, taste it with some different foods, but don't be afraid to name a note that's not on the label. Um, you know, that's what speaks to you. Taste is a profoundly intimate and personal thing Um, and there's just a huge amount of variety I think that if I had one message for today is open your eyes to the incredible diversity of what heritage cider is because we have ciders on the site that are extraordinarily tart and then ones that are crisp and zingy and then we have ones that are loaded with notes of vanilla and smoke and oak and everything in between including barnyard funk which is some people's thing yeah i love i love how dry this one is yeah so this one is um just to give steve his due credit this is pack basket sparkling we're sipping um this is made um right outside ithaca by steve sellen um out in south hill and i was talking about wild apples this is called pack basket because steve is actually foraging these apples and the only way for him to get them home is for him to put them into a basket and carry them home so that's why it's named pack basket and it's a real expression of terroir it's both dry but aromatic um you really get a sense of this is a time in a place and a landscape in a glass and that's what really drew me to cider this idea of connecting in a really meaningful way with something that's quite authentic. I didn't want to work with mass producers. I wanted to work with people who really made their living on the land and were really doing something out of the love of it. And that's what the entire Cider and Love experience is. It's only makers who are working in that way. I keep on hearing this, that's called an idiom, uh, iterated about how cider is so great with food. Mm, Yes. What is it? I mean, I see 8.3% on the label, and it's somewhere in between beer and wine for me. It's also a 500 milliliter bottle, so it's not a huge investment into into drinking. Well, I would say there's a couple of things. First, obviously, you hit on it's accessible. The price points are accessible, and the heritage makers I work with um, are still, even when you're dealing with the high-end bottles, they're still incredibly affordable when you look at a great bottle of wine. Um, there is also the session ability or just the ability to take down a bottle and not feel like that's what your night was about. Um, you know, personally, the rosé all day thing never worked for me because after rosé all day, I'm like dead by three, you know. Um, <laughs> and cider is far more accessible. But, you know, there's also just this basic thing that cider 
water has a lot of complexity and a lot of acid in it, often, not always, but it complements food usually quite well. It can bring out the flavors without over-dominating, which you can get with some wines that are too alcoholic. They can kind of steamroll your food, or if you have spicy food, it can steamroll it. I, one of the first things I learned about cider is it pairs really well with delicate foods. Fish, soup. Have you ever had a pairing with soup? Like, But butternut squash soup is so amazing, but... I would challenge you to find a wine that pairs as well as a cider does. And you're looking at a harvest beverage. So there is a naturalness um, to pairing cider with food. Um, it brings out all of the complexity and the fun, and it's very easy to keep playing with it. And you can find those notes like herbs and grapefruit mm. within a cider itself. Mm -hmm. So it's already referential. Oh, absolutely. And I'm already done with this glass. Uh, well, <laughs> we're, we're not bringing this glass bottle home, yeah. so sip up. It, it, I, I am so smitten, and Jordan has had a lot of this effect on me, um, with the variety of ciders out there and who you have listed on there. Some of the cideries, like I've had Tilted Shed before from yep. Sonoma. Um, I love two people that you carry, which is Car's Cider House from Hadley, Mass. Oh, love and Oso Alpenfire from uh, Port Townsend mm -hmm. for a reason... Well, related, but it, because they both make really great apple cider vinegars as well. Oh, yeah. That are just as expressive as the ciders that they mm -hmm. are making. Um, the latitude of what apples can do in this context is, is mind-blowing to me. Well, I think that's one one of the phrases I'm going to um, credit him correctly, but Dan Wilson from Slybro um, said to me that he feels that he's really, um, the apples are paints that he's using on a canvas. Um, and that, I thought, was really expressive. There is so much, the same way you can open up a paint box and paint the world, you get the right apples in your orchard, and you can really create almost anything you'd like. It's a it's a combination of the apples. It's obviously how they're grown. It's how they're harvested. It's how, it's how they're then fermented and how, and then bottled, et cetera, and aged. But all of those individual choices are profoundly artistic. And what I love about it on the site is that you really can have this range and you can be playful. So you can learn. It's great for a tasting. If you want to like buy three bottles and have like a sparkling crisp one to begin, and then you'd like something a little bit maybe fruit forward um, and semi-dry with your food, then you'd like to finish with something like a pomo or an ice cider. You have that range as opposed to, I think one of the saddest things about cider is when people think it's one note. And worse, when it's one note from one pole they had in a pub. Um, you know, sometimes that's a great glass, but sometimes it's not for you. And, you know, like, let's expand that um, vocabulary to Jordan's point. Yeah. What is the second bottle that we have to All expand right. our palate? I'm very excited to share this. This um, is from Liberty. Uh, these guys are based out in Spokane. Um, and they actually have a great passion for working with crab apples. They're quite known for that. But this is um, Stonewall. Um, and it's aged in um, oh, it's aged in whiskey barrels. So I just want us to, like, take a sip because it's I've brought it because it's very autumnal. Mm -hmm. So hold on. Ooh, like right off the bat. Ooh, ooh, gosh, that's so lovely. It's dry. It's subtly sparkling. Um, you can taste the oak. You can taste vanilla. You can almost taste, I would say, a little bit of fruit character. But what's amazing about it is it's dry. I think people have this sense that either sweet is flavor and dry is somehow without flavor. And I think cider and heritage cider really opens up that um, horizon to say it can be completely dry and yet 
gorgeous. I mean, this to me would pair so well with obviously, yes, a traditional pork, but it would also taste incredibly well with a say roasted pumpkin, not in a pie, but just on its own. And then the tannic quality of this and, you know, Rick and Austin, if you're listening, apologies, I'm going to go out there and say it, but I would pair this also with dumplings. Like get your seamless order on that tannic quality is going to cut right through the sort of greasy, yummy deliciousness of dumplings. Oh yeah, And you could just work with that, right? I've BYO seed in Chinatown a lot. Like it, it, Isn't it works. that a thing? Yeah. I think that's a thing. One of the favorite things, and you were talking about cars, and they do a lot of wild ferment, which gives them a lot of sort of um, twang, tart, uh, barnyard funk, little sour quality. And we did a tasting recently with a great bottle from Cars, the uh, wild apple, and we paired it with samosas. And there's something about the sour, tart quality of certain ciders with spicy food. People don't know what to pair with spicy food, but that sour quality really cut through the spice and it brought out the best of both. Um, and so you don't always need to do a like with like pairing. You can kind of do a yin to yang pairing. Um, and I don't want people to feel like you have to be some sort of Martha Stewart with perfect fall, abundant cooking and butternut squash ravioli. You can, you know, whatever's on your takeout menu, you can open up a bottle of cider and it's going to be probably the friendliest bottle you have in your fridge. I just had an incredible Filipino meal with a whole flight of ciders and just again the spicy food but not everything was spicy and there was sweetness in the food there was heat there was acidity and we ended it by pouring the cider down bone marrow oh my (laughs) god (laughs) yeah transformative that was one of the best food and drink pairings of my entire life that sounds extraordinary (laughs) and i can imagine it too because the character of the cider has enough you know you need something that has enough going on if you have something that's too simplistic uh, you know a meal with a lot of complexity and depth it just doesn't have anything to latch onto cider excuse me heritage cider really has that type of complexity um there really is a beginning middle and an end that you can unpack um and that goes so well with food you want you want a partnership of peers so to speak that's awesome. Bone marrow. Yeah. Mm. Um, when I don't talk for a while, that usually means I'm really enjoying something. So what do you so what do you <laughs> think of we gotta give, you know, Rick and Austin a yeah. plug. What do you think of Liberty's Stonewall? Well, you know, with wine you swirl it around to volatilize the esters, but mm-hmm. th- while this warms up, it opens up in a way too. And Absolutely. that you know, like caramel apple comes mm-hmm. out but not too sweet, like you said. Yeah. And it just has it's so broad. Mm-hmm. It's rather than just like strikingly acidic and something that you'd only enjoy if it was really, really cold. It has so much complexity on so many levels. Yeah, I think that that's some of the playfulness that, you know, cider making is really at the beginning of a renaissance. I think a lot of people are aware that there was a huge leap in cider volumes, you know, in the past five years. But what you see now in the heritage cider making world is so many people coming in, coming in, not having grown up on a farm, but transitioning into cider making as a second, third, fourth career out of passion, often from a creative background. And they're just beginning to play. You know, in this one, they, you know, have a partnership with Dry Fly. They're making these, you know, they're borrowing the, you know, the barrels um, to age in. And it's just the beginning. You know, what else can you do? I mean, if this is the start, I can't wait to see where it keeps going because this is pretty incredible. This is one of the best expressions of oak insider that Mm -hmm. I've had. You get the vanilla and the coconut, but it's not... Sometimes the barrel aging insider, I think, gets a little too boozy, too overwhelming. And this is just... 
so balanced and so special. And I'm personally somebody who really dislikes Chardonnay. Um, and so I'm always hesitant whenever I start with something that I know is going to have an oak flavor. But there's something here to your point where it's completely in its place and feels um, it feels extremely autumnal because of some of the notes. But yet you can imagine drinking this with to me, this could be like a really hot summer meal with, you know, it could be Chinese food, it could be Filipino food, it could be something in that palate range with this. And it would somehow sing in a really um, beautiful way. This may be the beginning of cider in the context of like the greater scope of American food, cuisine, drink, but it's also the beginning of Cider Week. And we can't go without saying that there are so many great activities happening here in town. And Jordan is certainly curating a lot of those. So I'd love for her to mention how you can get involved as well as always going to ciderandlove.com and ordering your bottles. Um, What's going on next week, Jordan? Well, here at Heritage Radio, we have a very exciting event on Monday, November 5th. Um, That is what I've been calling the best day of my life because it is the (laughs) overlap of Cider Week in New York City and the Raw Wine Fair. Um, And Dan Pucci and I, along with Heritage Radio and our office home, 100 Bogart, are putting on an event called Co-Ferment, where we're bringing together a conversation of beverage nerds from lots of different um, drinks and points of view to talk about how they're all pretty much the same. And so that we've got uh, John Reynolds from Black Duck Cidery, Derek Trowbridge from Old World Winery in Sonoma. We have Lauren Grimm from right here in Bushwick from Grimm Artisanal Ales. And then Krista Scruggs, who is a um, kind of new up-and-coming winemaker in Vermont who didn't get any grapes one year and used apples instead. And so we're going to talk about blending these things together in kind of grape, grain, and apple, but also really how the cultures are blended together of how we drink them and how we engage with them. And if you want to keep your cider separate, don't forget to follow Jordan at Cider Language on Instagram. Thanks for the show. That's such a great feed. Oh, thank you. And and Annie, one last question, because yes, we've been drinking glasses of cider, but I love how it's incorporated not only into cuisine, but cocktails. Oh, absolutely. So then I'm going to have to, you know, plug our event next week as well, because it is a fabulous week next week. We're all going to be just very happy. Um, We're hosting something called Adventures and Heritage Cider. It's Tuesday at Bedford Cheese Shop, but don't just think it's cheese. Uh, We're going to have dumplings. We're going to have some additional surprises. I don't want to like blow them yet, but they are definitely something you could find on your seamless takeaway menu Um, with a bunch of different cider makers, um, as well as Dan Pucci, as well as Darlene uh, Hayes, who is a mixologist extraordinaire in cider cocktails. So we'll have a cider cocktail there for you to share. And if you're interested in this food and cider pairing and you're trying to get inspiration for the holidays, or Thanksgiving or just whatever, follow us on Cider and Love on Instagram. But also our site has articles every single week about how to pair with just about everything. So from Brussels sprouts to uh, Thai food, really, I I dare you to find something that's not on the site. But if you see something you'd like to know about, let us know and we'll make an article about it. Benjamin Franklin once said, it's bad to eat apples. It is better to turn them all into cider. That man was a genius. (laughs) (laughs) So heed that warning. Heed that not warning. He heed that great piece of information and begin drinking your cider now. Thank you, Annie. Thank you, Jordan, for both being on and get on your Cider Week events next week. A big thank you to Heritage Foods for sponsoring. Order your turkey today. Music by Cookies and Matt Patterson Engineering. Hope to have you back here on the food scene next Tuesday at three. Cheers. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.